You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. When Bracken invited me to this, I asked him, what's the, uh, what's the dress code? He goes to send me some just like little snippet of basically what he wears so we can at least look the same. And Kirk, you'd, you'd look a little odd. I said uh, cardio casual. And it attached a website to my to my yeah message. some Russian some Russian act like some Russian link just randomly came up with some clothes but I couldn't click on it it was just like some random shirt it was weird it was like cardio dot casual dot or something some Russian website <laughs> yeah maybe maybe you'd have good style like over there Bracken but not here <laughs> no not here. Not here. What what is uh what is that emblem on your hat? Is it's a phoenix? Is that like uh, okay? Why Green Bay Phoenix? That's where my sister played, and that's where she's coaching now. Oh uh, yeah, Mick, you uh you have to go to work this morning at some point. Is that right? At some point, yeah. Technically, uh, we're blessed in high schools to have long preps, and because we're partially virtual right now, I have kind of an opening this morning, so. Uh, I'm glad it worked out, but uh, I don't have this every every year, and it's definitely something that's uh, been been really nice. Why don't you tell the people who are listening where where you are currently? I mean, in in my little in my little house, or or where I'm living right now, <laughs> like in the world. So I'm coming to everyone from Canada, just over the border. Actually, probably a straight shot north of where Kirk is. So. About a seven-hour drive straight north past the border in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So we uh, we can't complain. We can't complain about the cold here. No, I was actually, you know what? I did a little research last night just in case uh, temperatures came up, and I wanted to uh, have a bit of Fahrenheit in my in my back pocket just so I could explain a little bit. But I was saying, um, kind of what temperatures I'm running in outside, and and everything is about minus twenty-two Fahrenheit for you guys currently or the worst part of your winter uh that's like for sure two months of the winter right now we've been pretty lucky uh it's it's not that cold i mean it's still uh chilly but for the most part it's nothing people people here when it's about minus 10 or something they're just still wearing shorts we're pretty we're pretty used to it that's bizarre <laughs> it's funny we had some messages after our we, we talked to uh, one of our past episodes about uh getting ready for winter running and how you got to get out the door and dress appropriately so you can handle it all and all that and we had a lot of people like yeah you know it just changed you know down here in arizona or down here in texas you know it's not 100 degree heat anymore and now it's 40 and i'm freezing and it just shows that everything is relative humans totally. get used to anything you get used to 140 yeah. is cold you get used to 40 20 is cold you get used to negative 20 and negative 10 is like hey it's kind of balmy today yeah totally i just have i have like three different outfits i wear and based on what temperature it is i just kind of restock the same thing so uh, i've got a different style jacket if it gets further like further into the cold or i've got different ones so i figured it out over time mm -hmm. What is your cutoff? Like, how cold does it get before you switch from shorts to tights, let's say? I mean, I 
I'll wear tights pretty early. I'm not, I'm not really that guy. So uh, I can't say that, but I mean, I do have that one where, you know, you put on your like cross country ski pants over top of your tights and then, you know, you're really going for it or you put your ski goggles on because legitimately you need them. Oh yeah. We've all had our ski goggle runs in the last year. I don't mind it. It's kind of cool. I don't like it. You see that one other guy running guy or girl, and it's always someone in their like fifties or sixties that just is stubborn and gets out no matter what. And you have that one respect nod because you can't see each other's faces, but you run by them on the trails. And it's kind of that one little moment of enjoyment on the trails. Now, now we feel like, you know, Bracken lives in Milwaukee ish. I live in Minneapolis ish. I would say I have more of a running community here than Bracken does in Milwaukee. And I would say maybe a little more access to terrain than Bracken as well. But we like to gripe about not having great terrain or a running culture community to grab onto compared to some of our competitors. And then I think of Mick way up there in the Arctic, all alone on a pancake. You think it's flat here? Go to Winnipeg. It is. It is desolate. It is flat. The trail systems, at least in the city, are okay, not great. How do you feel about that, Mick? Like, you're just a lone wolf up there, aren't you? I mean, it's like a, it's a common dialogue. I literally, since I started Spartan and went to my first race and it was on a ski hill, I mean, I came back and I was just like, you know, there's nothing here to really train for. And you talk to everyone and they're just putting in so many, you know, so much inclines, so much, yeah, and they've got great terrain. Uh, people see Canada and they think everywhere is mountains and these epic landscapes and everything. Like we have some great woods and uh, lake country, but for the most part, I mean, Winnipeg is, you know, I ran 15 miles yesterday and I got 400 feet of elevation. <laughs> yeah, Winnipeg's one of those atypical sections of what people, what Americans think of when you talk Canada. Right. I mean, if you go for, far enough north, there are polar bears here. We all are the polar bear capital of the world, but <laughs> I'm not even close to that. You have to take a, you know, a backcountry train to get up to those guys. That's crazy. I rarely stumble upon polar bears when I run. It's weird. Rarely. You know what? At every podcast I've done, basically, it comes up when I'm talking to Americans about polar bears. So I think it's just a curiosity. Yeah, or fast. But I have to get it straight. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm anti bear now. I'm anti bears. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know what, Kirk? Polar bears are nothing to be like. Those guys are the biggest land predator in the world. So second biggest <laughs> except for bracken yeah <laughs> the only thing bigger than a polar bear is bracken's ego right uh right you know how we met mick uh you are mick this is this is a special podcast to me because you are the first high-end ocr athlete that i ever met i met you at my first ocr race it was a battle frog here in the twin cities and you came down for your birthday. This was May of 2016. And I'd never done one of these races before. I thought I was going to show up and I was going to win. I honestly did. I thought my run fitness was good. I was a strong gym guy. I knew nothing, by the way. And I think you beat me by five minutes that day, Mick. And you were so humble about it. And we went for a cool down together. And I think we became buddies that day. Definitely. I agree. I agree. And, and you just posted that photo from the podium because Battle Frog is supposedly back. I know. Let's hope that actually happens and they come back to Twin Cities. I feel like that would have been just an annual race that I would be excited to come do. And you know what? You start thinking of the people around there, like that would be a super competitive race. I, uh, To me, 
obstacle racing, Battle Frog was kind of that, uh, it was like an eye opener of what cool obstacles could be and just the terrain and the distance. I thought it was, you know, it was a blast. I'll never forget Mike, Ferg Mike Ferguson. They had a long rig that took like, it was like a minute long rig. It was the longest rig I've ever experienced was in my first race ever. And Mike Ferguson, one of our buddies, is sitting there in two lanes and he looks like he'd been crucified because he had a ring up to his right over his head and a ring up to his left over his head. <laughs> and he was trying to grab ropes with his feet at the same times on other sides. And he was hanging there just stuck in queue, looking like he was crucified. And it's the only reason I beat him that day. And you breezed right on by him. And that's where I believe you took the lead and never looked back. I mean, they had a double rec bag carry. That was pretty, like, that was pretty intense. I've never had that after, after the fact. Um, they even just made you carry a pallet for like half a mile, which was <laughs> just awkward. And I mean, you, yeah, you hold it on your back and those things just have splinters and you're, I mean, I was pretty beat up afterwards, but, uh, such a, such a fun race. Yeah. You guys <clears throat> always tell these stories glowingly about Battlefrog. I have no positive memories <laughs> or experiences at Battlefrog <laughs> ever. Battlefrog exposes my grip where I have Spartan grip. I, I do very little grip training, and so I have just enough to get through any Spartan race. And and Battlefrog <laughs> really, really was difficult for me. And so I, I it doesn't even compute when you guys are talking about how great these races were. I'm excited for them to come back because I want to see my improvement. But I've never had fun at Battlefrog. I think I think people will um will will be much better prepared now, even if they keep the rigs um somewhat similar, although they're talking about making which we've you know all the elite guys have been talking about for a long time is having whatever rig set up is is different and a little more difficult for the elites to go through and then as soon as everyone gets through at a certain time cutoff they switch you know put a couple of rings in instead of tarzan ropes and nunchucks and whatever but uh they're talking about doing that now coming back so that would be nice yeah i hope it happens yeah for, for if you haven't picked up on this already, we're, we're talking to Mick Jarillo. Uh, Mikhail, would we say? Yeah, Kirk. Is that how you say it? Yeah, perfect. I'm glad you practiced that like all this morning. That was, yeah, that was my homework I did. Mikhail Jarillo. Now, Mick, um, I don't know if a lot of our listeners will know who you are if they're newer to the sport or they just don't pay super close attention. And I want to say that you are probably on the world scene, I'm going to say, the most underrated OCR Spartan athlete that hasn't gotten what I think, at least in the U.S., like the recognition that you deserve, mostly because you don't come down here and race very often. When you do, it's always a spectacle. And you choose OCR Worlds over Spartan Worlds, or you choose other races based on passion. You were the Canadian National Series champ how many years in a row? You were the most consistent, high-end performing Canadian that we have, other than Ryan Atkins, but he comes and dips his toes in the U.S. waters. And like, you're a guy that I just think, like, I'm like, damn it, I want him to commit to a series where all the big dogs are at because you'll be a household name in a matter of a season and you haven't done that yet. Bracken, do you agree with the fact that he's probably the most unrecognized, underrated Spartan or OCR competitor, maybe in the world, because he doesn't expose himself to the big dogs often? I'd say for, in North America, I'd say he's the, he's the Canadian Yuri Force. Where mm. like all the Europeans are underrated to Americans and all the Americans are overrated to Europeans. You know, like the, the continents don't play well together because we don't cross back and forth too often. But in North America, I think it's Yuri Force and Mick 
are the two under the radar guys who can show up on any day and beat any person in the sport. For for reference, and then Mick, the floor is going to be yours, but I was sixth in the U.S. National Series this last year. I've never beaten you, Mick, when we <laughs> raced head-to-head yet. Right. Let's keep it that way. We haven't raced much. I would like a crack at you here in this new age. However, just speaking to how, how good you are, why don't you just take the floor? Like, How do you feel about that, Mick? That That's our sentiment on you. I mean, it's... It's both not a bad place to be, you know, coming into any, any races. Um, it's nice not to feel pressure. Uh, I definitely in, in the Canadian series, I feel a little bit of pressure in terms of how I've done in the past and what people necessarily might, I feel they expect me to do well, you know? Um, but, uh, it's, it's just how it is. And, and that's fine for me because I really feel like I'm not at that level that, they, when they speak about certain guys at the top, you know, I know kind of what they do and everything like that. And it's, I go about my training a little bit less professionally and a little less analytic. So um, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like that, but at the same time, put, put five minutes into any race and all of a sudden I feel different. I think as soon as I start running and start noticing who's around me and different things like that, I think, um, all of that kind of goes out the window and I'm just like, Hey, like, let's see, let's see what we can do here. And, um, it just gets easier and easier every year. So you touched upon something there that I thought we'd get to later in the podcast, but it kind of sums up Mm -hmm. what I think the Canadian OCR athlete is. If you think about the U S OCR athlete, there's one of two people that really pop to mind. It's either like a Hunter or an Isaiah like that, or it's a Ryan Woods or a Botris. It's they're either huge power athletes who have a freakish engine, or they're runners who have spent the time getting used to obstacles and being athletic. But that's kind of what the OCR runner is in America. But in Canada, it seems to be the well-rounded athlete. And you look from the beginning, the first one I ever saw was Marco Bedard and um, and Ryan Atkins, yourself, Jesse Bruce. <clears throat> there, there's just a, a list of guys who on paper are never the fastest runner and probably not the most powerful athlete. They just have every skill across the board. They're well-rounded and they compete. Like, like what you said, five minutes into a race, the 5k PRs go out the window and now it's who's going to attack this downhill or who's going to hammer this carry or who can get through the technical terrain. And you embody that just like all the other Canadians do. And that's interesting to me. I think those 5k PRs need to go out the window or else I'd be in big trouble. So um, I don't know if I've actually tested my 5k PR like in recent years. And it's, it's, uh, it's odd. Cause I still feel like I'm totally just figuring out running. I'm still learning a lot. I'm still changing so much and, um, testing a lot as well. So, um, and I've always naturally been that person that, um, has defined themselves as like a low mileage athlete. So again, you start to question yourself all the time when, no one else's training is quite lining up like yours or seems it seems like they have much more of a process to it whereas mine's more of like a logical approach to it um but i like that i like competing in the canadian series because when you go that start line you know everyone you're looking at right now is uh comes from like a competitive background and comes from some experience but you know has a full-time job and puts in a lot of other time into not just training they're they're active in other ways or they're they're involved in different things and so it's it's nice to know that uh we all kind of 
make time around everything else we do, but we love it. And we, we definitely like work hard to stay at a certain level. It's like a more level playing field. It's like, hey, we're the good old boys who have a job and we work hard and have balance and kick back a few beers. But we're going to still show up today and hustle. For sure. Yeah. And those and you know what? It's uh, I I know a lot of those guys in, in Canada and, and there are some guys that even I'm, you know, I'll have I'll win a few races. But there are still guys that show up on those start lines that you guys say no one knows who I am and people don't know who they are necessarily. And I am scared when they are going to show up fit. So like a Sean Stevens way yeah. or somebody like that. or um like Benjamin Morin Boucher I mean he's in the military and he <laughs> took you know he had, he actually got deployed for a year and then took a, a half a year off but before that he was basically undefeated out east and in my second race you know I got third in the Montreal Super and he was second and he he hung on to Atkins um pretty like he's right up there and he's he's just as fit as ever it's just if his lifestyle if he's not you know hiding in a ghillie suit for a year or something then uh he's a guy that'll show up and all of a sudden people are wondering you know who's this guy whatever else so um there's always there's always people that keep us keep me honest up here it might not be as deep of a field i think it, it definitely cuts off but there's still a lot of people that keep me very honest. And then when I come to races, let's say North American Championships or wherever, I thought I was going to do a little bit of the U.S. Series. But uh, as a as a teacher, my season pretty much can start in June. If I go race anytime before that, it's kind of just rushed. And again, I don't have as much time to put into things. And if I go race, it's literally like rush over the day before and then race and then leave. So. Um, I have to kind of weigh that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that I, I lived that life <clears throat> for for several years. That Friday afternoon after school, quick drive to the airport, fly out, and then fly back right after the race so you can get home in time to lesson plan. And it's a right. It's a different style of of living. It's fun. It's exciting to drop everything on a Friday and be in a different state or a different country, and then be back again Monday morning. But you don't live the lifestyle you would live if you dedicated your life to it right it's actually you know what i don't mind it it's kind of it's kind of cool to go out and be part of a huge event and do really well and come back monday and you know you're beat up you're bruised you're you're like super fatigued and then all of a sudden people are like oh how was your weekend and you're just kind of like try to explain it and you know it's not uh it people don't really understand what you're what you're kind of putting yourself through but um and I, I'm also pretty fortunate at the same time. I feel once summer hits, then all of a sudden, you know, I can I can go a few days before a race or stay after and just adventure in new areas. And that's kind of why I love it as well. Um, Mick, so we want to we want to touch on a number of things with you, um, including like your training style and philosophy and all of those things that make you like, I think, a really dynamic athlete. Um, but I don't think our listeners know you very well. And as you've been my longest friend in the sport, and I don't know if you've ever taken me even back to like the beginning of like your athletic journey and growing up and how you got to where you're at. And I'm very curious about that because you'd think I would know that by now, but I don't. Sure. You just don't ask those prompting questions, Kirk. It's all about you when we talk. Oh, really? <laughs> you can call me whenever you want, Mick, and we'll, we'll talk about you. <laughs> it's not, not true, folks. <laughs> 
So tell me, man, bring bring us back to the beginning of your athletic uh, athletic prowess. Where where did your athletic career in quotes start? I mean, I, I, I grew up and my parents put me in every sport and they realized that at a young age, you know, my dad was actually like on the national team for volleyball. Um, he had a chance to go to the Olympics, but uh, kind of back in the day, your family had to pay for it all and they didn't have anything. So he stayed at that level, but he never actually went went there. But he came from a background of volleyball and uh, baseball. But my parents had to put me in sports where I had to run and be active. They just knew I, I couldn't handle like sitting in baseball or anything. So uh, I played hockey, soccer, kind of jumped into everything at a pretty young age. And um, I wasn't necessarily the gifted kid that would like show up and just excel, but I was athletic. I just wasn't, um, I didn't hit that growth spurt early. I did. I wasn't that guy. So uh, just going through everything, high school, I played, um, some of the sports I actually excelled at were like team handball. I don't know if everyone's familiar with that sport, um, but it's a super like, it's a pretty rough, but high intensity game. And it incorporates a lot of different skills. Um, I also played water polo. I was a goalie. So I kind of was involved in like lots of different sports, but I was always still um, involved. Soccer really progressed for me once I got to university and I actually walked on to university uh, tryout and they had drafted a bunch of players. They started a new program at the university and they had two spots open for walk-ons aside from their team. And um, first couple of practices went and, you know, you're so nervous and guys know what they're doing. And But then we went to this uh, hill, which is an old garbage dump. But I mean, you're getting, you're getting 40 feet per rep on the on the on the hill it's not very high but um i remember we went there and there was two loops around it and that's how we started our tryout and uh i ended up beating everyone at it and now all of a sudden the coaches started watching me because they knew i had some fitness um so i made it on that team and played for a season um your freshman year this is your freshman year yeah it'd be like second year at the university um so, so I played for a year and it was great. And then we had to win basically the provincial like MCAC to get to CIS, which is like kind of like NCAA where you guys are. Um, so, and then, and then it meant lots of traveling and everything. And it was just, it was just a lot on uh, with school and with practicum and doing all that kind of stuff. So I ended up not sticking with that, but still playing. Um, so I, I would say soccer definitely progressed. I never ran track. I never did cross country. Um, I did run in middle school and I was always that guy that would just win the cross country or be first or second, but I would just kind of battle it out. I don't think I was ever training for it, but I was consistently running. Um, so after, after that, then I kind of graduated and, and, and going through university, then soccer ended and I was still kind of playing that and then I kind of looked into OCR. So uh, I ran a half marathon on just soccer training and did did decent. Like I ran like a, a 120 and for a half and- Off of just like going to soccer practice, soccer. not yeah. going out for runs on your own or anything. But that's pretty, what pace is that 120? Bracken, you know- Like a six minute that. mile, basically. <laughs> but I mean- Bracken, you're on mute. The church bells are going off. I'm muted myself. <laughs> and you've got this cough going on. Are you feeling okay? No, I'm telling you, man. I'm I'm struggling. You got a frog in your throat today. Uh, I've I've been 
we'll talk about this later. (laughs) (laughs) So, so anyways, we, uh, I was, I was playing soccer. I was running, but I was playing like center, center outside midfield. So, I mean, they, a lot of studies will, will tell you that, you know, a midfielder will run 10 K per match. And I was always that guy in practice that would actually, you know, put in effort even for the warm ups and stuff like that. I just love training like an athlete. And then started getting into the gym, spent like, uh, and I never really got into like pure bodybuilding or anything. I kind of always wanted to superset and train like an athlete still and just progress through that. So um, I think after that, then after my half marathon, I realized I didn't just want to be a roadrunner and kind of just Googled obstacle racing and found one out east in uh, in Ottawa and ran the beast, like signed up for the beast and went out there and raced it. And I showed up and nike nike pro shorts you know nike shoes and i i didn't even know how to put like a timing chip on my uh on my shoes like i was talking to, and you know back then it was weird you'd, you'd go to the venue and you go out for dinner right and coming from you're like oh this should be cool and you go to dinner and everyone's wearing their spartan shirts you realize how much a community there actually is everyone's talking about the race Basically, everyone in the area is there for the race. You know, it's a it's at a ski hill on off season. So I honestly, I was I was, I signed up for elite just because I didn't want to waste time at obstacles. You know, watching some videos, I was like, ah, I don't really want to like stand at a inverted wall just waiting in line. Like I want to just run it. So uh, jumped into elite, lined up like in three hundredth place out of three hundred, and saw those like back then. Our pro team was um, Platinum Rig had like a pro team. So Platinum Rig athletes wore these like bright orange shorts. So at the start of the race, I see guys like Jesse Bruce and Benjamin and Marco and all those guys who have been doing it for years. And they just walk walk past the crowd, you know, walk up to the start line with their orange shorts. And I'm just like, man, who are these guys? Like, what is this? I, it was such a weird concept to me that they were like, um, kind of those like top athletes that could kind of get get priority and stuff like that. So I'm in line, I'm looking at a guy and I'm like, hey, you know, just kind of talking to the guy beside me. And he's got, he's one of those beast guys that has, you know, he, he lines up with a backpack on that has probably 40 pounds of like rations and everything. He's, he's talking to me, he's like, you know, is this your first race? He could totally tell, right? And And I'm like, yeah, it should be fun. He's like, do you have any fuel? Do you have anything? I'm like, oh no, just gonna see see how it goes. Like, um, so he ended up he ended up giving me a couple of gels. He was like, take these, and just like he's like, after an hour, just take one of them. He just was like telling me how to fuel, and um, so thanks to that guy, whoever he was, but uh, started running, and then eventually caught up to that like lead pack. And I mean, back then the the races were epic, you know. They had us going through barbed wire upstream. You basically had to do like a bear crawl through like a, sh- a shallow river that was pushing you back down. And um, they had like double sandbags. They had, you know, five or six different carries. So I ended up running and um, catching up to one guy and saying, you know, like, oh, hey, this is pretty fun. Like, where are you from? I was just chatting with him and he was just kind of like asking me who I was. And then I said, Hey, do you mind if I uh, set the pace for a little bit? And he's like, man, like I'm in third place. If you're good to go, like get in front of me, you know? And then we had a good battle and I ended up getting third by four seconds. And then after that, basically Jesse came up to me and said, 
hey, like, who are you, whatever. And he just said, like, you know, if this was your first race, you got to start, you, you know, you should come out again and race and start training for this. So that's how I got into OCR. And I guess, Kirk, like the other side of my life is uh, teaching phys ed. Right now, I teach grade 9 to 12. I coach, I run the football academy there. And you know what? I, I think, I think I got into phys ed because I enjoyed coaching, but I think physical activity and just in general, just teaching, uh, through activity is a great way to teach life skills. And I'm really enjoying it even this year. Um, in, in terms of like showing students, you know, who they are, certain, certain situations that they can learn from. And then also exposing them to different things. And hopefully by the time they graduate, uh, they, they have a, they have a few ideas of, of what they can do for activity, whatever that is. Let's say they play a little ultimate frisbee or they were interested in the weight room. I've at least exposed them enough to it that when they graduate, hopefully they get into something that just, just will add to their life. So, um, I don't, I don't necessarily talk, uh, let's say on social media and stuff. I don't share so much about my job, but, uh, it's definitely something that, I care about and it's definitely something I enjoy. So um, people see me as like a runner, as someone who trains a lot, but I think when it comes down to it, like that's still a key aspect of my life. This um this is a total side conversation, but you're the guy to ask about this. Okay. Um, I had this conversation with one of my clients in the gym. He is a retired phys ed teacher. He taught phys ed for like 30 or 40 you guys years. All say I just want to get your... I say Fiad, but I'm just going with oh, the okay. Oh, I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense to say Fiad, but that's what I grew up saying. Huh. Yeah, me too. Cool. I'm just trying to acclimate acclimate to our guest here back. I feel self-conscious now because Fiad's dumb, but it <laughs> that's all I knew. So maybe we'll bring it back. I have a physical education retiree client. Wow. And he said and this came up about grading. And and I said, Yeah, I was under the impression that in Fayed you mostly grade on participation. Like, is this person actually trying and participating or not? And we got into a heated conversation and he had said, well, actually, I strongly disagree with you. I think 10% of FIED grades should be based on participation and 90% should be based on performance. He says, how are you judged on a math test? Oh, I tried hard, but I'm bad at math and got a D. So like, but you tried hard. So I'll give you an A. Right. It's, the one, it's the one subject in which we make an exception on performance is FIED. He said, no, if you suck at basketball, D. If you try a little bit, I'll give you a passing grade. But like, if you're no good. So he based his grading all his years purely on performance saying, well, that's what we're measuring here in Fayette. And so that was his philosophy. And I know there's varying philosophies and I could see that be very polarizing amongst Fayette teachers. Um, But then I thought about it and I was like, he's kind of right. Like I get his viewpoint. What is your viewpoint on that? You know what? I, uh, it's, it is a common like kind of battle you you have, but you know what, for how I mark, I mark my students on their attitude and I mark them on their improvement. So they get, they'll get their mark based on their attitude and improvement. So if they're starting at basketball, let's say, and they're willing to go through the like process of learning how to shoot to make one free throw and they're starting at a certain level and they've improved that much. And then there's the other athlete that naturally plays, but they don't want to improve anymore. Um, I kind of base it off of that. And you know what? You talk to anyone that's had a bad experience in phys ed, it was probably because their, um, their phys ed teacher was kind of like tunnel vision on 
what they thought was kind of the right way or different things. And um, I think it's better to teach like the attitude and the process than um, on skill level, because when they graduate, they maybe never will dribble a basketball again and they don't care about that. And they, and you know what, they'll probably be successful in their own right. If they have a good attitude towards, I can learn a skill or I can participate without being self-conscious or, um, then maybe, then maybe their, their friends are like, Hey, we're, we're going to join like a rec basketball league. Are you interested? And if they enjoyed it, then maybe they're going to say yes. Like later on, it's given them more of a healthy lifestyle. But, uh, in terms of skill and, and especially now, like I, I find that, you know, we have academy classes. So all of the athletes, once they get to grade 10, go into basketball academy and hockey academy and soccer academy. So, you get all the real athletes that are interested in those sports going into those sports and they get graded a little differently. But then you have your regular phys ed class, your regular phi ed class that has basically a bunch of non-athletes, which you would think would be a terrible class because no one's got any athletic skill. No one really cares. No one's played on like, maybe they played a little hockey back in the day or something, but no, they'd rather play you know, team building games and low organized games and dodgeball and uh, go outside and, and try different things. So um, it's nice to have, have that balance where you can challenge the people that want to get better through a sport and challenge the people that want to get better just in general with physical activity and uh, teach them how to not really uh, have an expectation on where their skill is at. It's just basically their mindset, how they're improving. Yeah, he. Um, I proposed him the question. I said, um, I said, what if you have like a, an overweight kid and it's the mile, the day you guys test the mile. We did this in gym class. We tested the mile. And the kid takes near dead last, but he or she runs so hard and she ends up throwing up at the finish line, but she runs 1530. Right. He said, that's not a, that's not a, that's not what I'm judging. It would be in the, can you imagine though? Can you imagine? Yeah, that? Can you right. imagine though? That's tough. That's tough. And that and that and that guy is never coming back to running. Probably not. Yeah. And and the thing is, if you taught, if you showed him that after three weeks, I don't care if you're dead last. I see your effort, and it's probably actually when I. You guys know the beep test where you have to go 20, 20 like twenty meters, change directions, go twenty meters back, and the beeps progressively get faster and faster goes up to level 20. It's supposed to be done on a track, which would be much easier and probably a decent runner would be able to successfully complete it. But I've never seen anyone get over 15. And I always explain to the kids that before it, you know, if you are in great shape and you give up at level eight and I know you had more in you, you know, I'm actually less happy with an eight score from you than I am on a another guy, let's say, just like, the guy you were talking about that gets level three, but he is like battling it out, trying to get to level three. And you look at effort base and you tell him like, you can improve. He needs to know that he can improve. Um, and he needs to know why he's at that level, right? I always get people to put their hands up before, you know, how many times a week are you challenging your aerobic uh, level and through soccer, through whatever. And it, it totally correlates. Like if you line everyone up, and you say, this person does nothing, there's a reason why they're getting two or three on the score. And then someone else is getting 10. And you're like, I'm going to challenge that person to still work 
as hard as those people failing. So um, it's not really about scores for me. It's more, again, about their attitude and also understanding that like, if you want to improve at something, it's, you need to put time into it. There's a reason why this kid looks really good at floor hockey. He's been playing hockey for 15 years. You know, he's put in so many hours and you, you've never even held a stick. No, like it's not defeating. It's just like put in more time if you're, if you're interested in it. Kirk, I got to say that your guy's wrong. Uh oh. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> taking a stance on this. And he was, he was being a little exaggeratory. And I like the guy. However, he's an old school, yeah. the old school thought. Yeah. He's so, right yeah. in an ideal society. If you could start society over and just groom every kid just to be like the best at everything you could ever be. And there was no obesity and there were no eating disorders and there was no mental illness. Like that's how you would judge Fayed. He's a good coach. He'd be a good coach. Yeah. But in real life, like if you're bad at math, and you get a D, you know, I don't go into engineering. If you're bad at biology. <laughs> you know, I don't go into the sciences, but everyone goes into health in life. Like you have to be good at it. And at some point you have to take an interest in it. And if you've, if you have someone that drives that out of you in your formative years, middle school, high school, and makes you ashamed of it, you don't come back to that. And you cannot come back to math and life and be fine. I'm terrible at math and I'm semi-successful in life. But if you don't come back to health, like you're screwed. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I didn't, I never even knew that was like a viewpoint. You know, that was just, I didn't think that I thought it was all effort-based and um you know exactly what mick had outlined so it was just an interesting thing i wanted to ask you about um let's get back to you mick um we hear this i feel like bracken don't you feel like we hear this a lot from accomplished athletes like oh i would run a i would run a random race and i'd win but then i just went back to play hockey or i kept playing soccer why didn't running take hold for you you just said oh i'd run a cross-country race and i'd battle it out and win why why didn't weren't you like duh I'm, i can run well if i'm if I knew what I knew now and how having years under your belt of running and training, like I would have made myself go into it. Uh, but there was always other sports happening at the time. And so I would jump in it just because I would jump into any sport or club that I kind of wanted to, but I was never someone that um, went through run programming or anything, but you know, I was that guy that in university and everything, I would just on Fridays, you know, before I'd go out and have some drinks, I was that guy that would go home and take a quick 20 minute nap, get up, put on my put on my runners and just run hard a loop that was about 35 minutes. Just 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 to do it, you know. I I always would make time for fitness and wanted to feel like I was improving my fitness or performance. You know, I'd have days where you know, I'd just be sitting and, I, and I'd stand up, I'd just put the chair down and I'd just do step ups and like step overs on a chair while I was watching TV, just to kind of, just to go through it. Um, I think I always, I like that um, state I'm in when I'm working and moving, moving athletically and also just moving. So um, that's always been a thing. And, and I think it, it eventually turned over into Spartan. And then once I started actually putting a little bit more time into it, uh, it progressed well for me. But like I said, it's even this year has been, I'm looking at my, I, I just started putting a calendar up on my, uh, on my fridge and writing the weeks down, like logging a little bit. Um, I've got a nice little colored pen as well. I was inspired by yeah. someone, but it's not very pretty. And I don't think it needs to be for me. 
I was always someone that I'd listen to people talk and I, I, I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot. And um, I'm just finding that consistently one of the biggest ways to improve your overall aerobic performance is like putting in more strategic miles. And I was that guy doing 25 miles a week and that was it. And just accept, like just, just kind of going with it, just being like, ah, I want to lift today and then tomorrow I'm going to run and whatever else. So I think I was still getting in the right type of running that gave me enough, enough to, to compete, but I definitely was not doing anything to uh, stay with those like top, top guys. Yeah, my belief is that off low mileage, everyone gets a glimpse of what their their peak is, what their mountaintop is. You can run 25, 30 miles a week, and you're going to get a vast majority of the way to where your, your, you won't hit your ceiling, but you'll know roughly what your ceiling is. You have a good idea. It's when someone decides to go all in and say, you know what, being 2% better or 3% right. or 5%, that's worth doubling my hours and risking injury or whatever that that's when you find your ceiling maybe some people don't hit it but i i do believe that you know there's this big debate over high mileage versus low mileage I, everyone responds to low mileage it's just right. how much do you respond to it and how much more do you get out of moving up right so i mean i i'm adding enough but i'm definitely not getting caught up in this whole like I got to put in hundred miles or mm -hmm. I'm actually finding my balance is about just over 40 miles. And I think with my, with my lifestyle and everything, I think it's perfect. I'm still motivated to run. I'm not just putting in runs just to get it done. Uh, I've got a good little balance right now. And this is again, just for off season. And then I'll kind of, you know, get a little bit more specific. And, and the, the thing I was missing was those um, let's say 10 K easy mile days. I just wasn't doing that. I was basically doing a track session and then a long run that was about, you know, let's say 10 to 12 miles. And then like one other day where I was kind of running trail or hill or something and doing maybe a little bit of uh, kind of tempo timed repeats. And that was about it. So now I've just kind of, and, and my, my reasoning, because I have a, I have an incline treadmill now, and let's say I, I bike or whatever else. But my reasoning for mileage there is basically I just I just put my heart rate and if my heart rate's at a certain point, I just kind of say where what kind of pace I'd be at that heart rate outside running. And let's say I'm hiking and I just count that as mileage. So if I ran for 45 minutes at a certain heart rate, that would give me about 10K of normal running, but I'm hiking and I just I just put in six miles for the day. So I'm not actually running my total, total mileage, but it's time and zone that I would be running. Let's say, mm -hmm. does that make sense? Yeah, in Wisconsin, in the US, they call it Badger Miles. The University of Wisconsin cross country coach was famous for just saying, guys, every seven minutes is a mile and girls, every eight minutes is a mile. And that's a Badger Mile. So if you do 70 minutes, it's 10 miles. Rather, we ran trail, hill, track. That's just how they counted it. And so yeah. I think it kept people from getting too obsessed with it and it made it easy. But that's yeah. it's that concept. And I and I do that with my incline trainer too. If I right. run for 40 minutes at 25%, I might get two and a half miles. But right. I'm going to count it as six because that's the effect it has on my system. Right. Right. So that's kind of that's kind of where I've been at. And I've I've just finished like three solid weeks of that. And um feeling good now i'm just gonna 
take a down week this week. And instead of my long run, I'll add in a little bit more of like a shorter tempo with some good uh, pacing. But um, it's it, it's good. Like I said, I'm constantly learning. And I was I was lucky after after I did my first Spartan race, um, I knew. And since I was a phys ed teacher, the guy that would run our track meets was also a coach of the university track team. And so I got talking to him and said, hey, like I'm training for these races and obviously I need to understand my run running a little better and maybe running, like you said, Kirk, where you guys are, don't have necessarily the community where you are that, um, you know, it's not like Colorado where I just walk out my door and everyone I see on the trails is like, um, knows how to train, putting in a hundred miles a week is like some kind of old, you know, ex Olympian or something. Um, the trail running community, although it is growing here, it was, you know, I literally could be on an easy run and basically snag any Strava segment on the trails in Manitoba. Now it's getting more competitive. And I think it's, it used to be a bunch of just ultra runners, but now there are guys that are kind of getting into that sport. So it's pretty cool. But I just asked the coach, I said, Hey, um, you know, I'm training for this. I'd like to learn uh, you don't have to coach me at all. I won't get in the way. I'll be a good guy in the group. Um, can can I come out to practices? So he would let me do it. And I, and I did workouts with the mid-distance guys. And obviously right now that's not happening, but I would train with them twice a week. And in the winter, you know, you'd probably only get about 11, 12 minutes of quality work. You know, they'd be doing fours, sixes, nothing over a K. Um but it was a really good program. There's some really good runners. Uh, and I think for two years, I realized I didn't realize that you weren't supposed to just race every rep. <laughs> and I was, and my, my, my pace was just brutal and I was just battling it out. And, you know, I, I was getting fit, but I wasn't getting efficient in my stride because I was like just chasing people. And this year, because everything closed down, you know, we're in lockdown here right now. So uh, things are, things are, you would, you would think it's not great, but, um, doing reps on my own and everything, I think I've kind of dialed back on my pace and it's actually made me more efficient. I've been doing easier workouts, all things considered, not smashing myself, but I think my 5k has improved, which is pretty, pretty cool to go through. Cause I don't think I would have ever learned that without it, but that's the one little place I have to run with some good athletes who like legitimately they won you know, nationals last year for the, uh, four by four by eight. Uh, so they've got some really good runners and, um, it's just, it's good to run and warm up with guys who that's their life. Like those guys, it's, it's all they do, right. They're putting in those long runs. They're putting in, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice thing to have when basically my other groups of people aren't really, aren't really around that. So it's always nice to go back to even though they still would never go on a trail. You talk about those guys that could show up in the sport that would dominate, um, but they don't want to go on a trail or change their training. You know, they're so, they're totally into it. They might get into it later on, but it's really hard to convince a track guy to even, you know, do a couple mm -hmm. pushups or something. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, so you're able to train, what university is it? Uh, they're at university of Manitoba. So, so 
So you can train like in season, you've been able to train with like their track and cross country teams for practice. So yeah. that's, so you'll just show up and let them kind of do the programming for you. They don't program for me. I just jump into the workouts. So I basically show up. I just say, yeah, I just, just do the warm up, and he doesn't share the workout until the warm up's done. So we all meet and he's like, okay, here's the workout. He basically has two or three different workouts for different groups, but he's the mid distance coach. Um, so again, it's not that much volume. I, I feel like I would benefit from doing, let's say those classic workouts like mile repeats and stuff like that's never a thing, but in terms of foot speed and just getting that consistent warm up dynamics, like people don't realize when I go to track the work, the workout only takes a certain amount of time, but you know, that warm up, those dynamics, the cool down, like all of a sudden you're at two hours. Um, so I only, I only do that once or twice a week, maybe, but it's, it's been nice and it's nice to run with guys. And I'm, I'm fortunate to, uh, for that coach to let me come on and do it. Now, when I get yeah, fitter, Bracken, can you, Bracken, can you imagine like having that culture to come to at this stage in life or the career? Remember that, that college culture and, yeah the competitive and having somebody right in front yeah. of you and behind you and next to you for every rep. That's a, that's really valuable. Man. I, miss I, would, it. I would grab onto that. I would grab onto that as long as you can. Like I've been basically when things closed here and then they haven't been able to practice or anything. So, I mean, for the most part, I haven't trained with them in half a year. And the other day I went up to the outdoor track and ran with one of the guys and, and I missed, uh, mentally it's hard to just do track workouts consistently once a week on your own even if I'm making up my own, my own workouts and I'm doing them and I have my own pacing and stuff, it's just, it is a lot easier even just to hit that next rep in between rest and not think about it as much. Cause you just have someone there, you know? Um, so that's been, that's been huge. And then when cross country season comes, that's around, uh, like September, October. So that's when I really benefit from the training, right? Because those cross country reps that, you're running, I mean, still we're running flat trails, but it's still grass running and, and different things. And it's a little longer reps. So that's where I find I get really fit for OCR in that mm -hmm. kind of time. And that's always right before kind of the big races of the season. So it, it works out well if I time it and I'm smart. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, we're just talking about this a little bit that our season's got the reverse order of most races where we start short and fast and we get long and steady throughout the year. And so it's really nice to come in with a base of speed as opposite as that sounds, and then build that stain power reps just in time for, you know, North American championships, worlds, those kind of events. Yeah. I think I've accidentally done well with my training. Uh, now looking back, like now that mm -hmm. I understand more, you look back and I did not know what I was doing, but I had those progressions and certain things that work for me or, um, so it's just, it's, it's interesting to understand more and realize you accidentally like stumbled upon some good, good progressions that there's worse positions to be. Yeah. That's obviously nice. But at the same time, I think you maybe underplay a bit the intentionality you put into certain aspects of your training because Kirk and I have used you as an example, um, along with old school, uh, Amelia Boone, when she lived in Chicago of people that have learned to be successful in the mountains with no access to elevation. And so even if maybe your run progression wasn't as intentional, you seem to be doing something very intentionally and intelligently that translates over to mountain running. So when did that pick up? And, and I want you to walk us through how you have gotten good at that. I think, um, I think when I got into it, I just, I, 
I think coming back from a mountain race, I was able to kind of like bottle up that feeling of how it feels to go uphill and bottle up that feeling of how my legs feel running downhill and try to um, try to expose myself to that. So I think when I lift, what people don't understand is um, creating load on your joints. And either way, if I do like a hard, if I run Tahoe and I run the downhills how I do, I'm going, you know, some guys are going to be fine the next day. I'm not going to be able to walk, but my joints are in great shape. And you know what? I can deal with it at the time and I can run downhill with stability because of it. I just don't have that pure exposure to that downhill impact, which is, which is fine. Like I'll pay the, I'll pay the price after it's all worth it. If it's, if you get it in the race, right. And you don't, Mm -hmm. don't hurt yourself and you're feeling strong. So I think people neglect, um, let's say deceleration work, like let's say on your, um, you know, your patella tendon and certain things like that, where you are constantly putting in this like reactive directional change uh, under load. Um, And I think a lot of ways that I progress my workouts, um, this is one, this is one way where, you know, you guys will probably shake your head a little bit, but I don't really train anything under eight reps. And you know what, like even on upper body and stuff, like I've always been someone who's been very motivated to like, let's say, get muscle ups and do one arm pull ups and stuff like that. And um, I've kind of found ways to progressive overload on time under tension and kind of just enjoy it a little more. Now, I think training my legs for the up uphills, I think it's all like teaching your legs how to get that lactic acid, like let's say, doing constant step ups till you get that actual feeling of like um, that pain in between your muscle fibers and then teaching your muscles how to flush it out. So there's, there's a lot of different concepts that I'll throw into workouts and start getting more specific based on what race is coming up. Uh, If I'm, if I'm doing a big mountain race, I know I have to just go to my small hill and pull the tire and run a bunch of repeats up and downhill as many times as I can. Um, and, and there's certain workouts to it, obviously, but, uh, you know, getting, getting my, getting my knees and my hips ready for running downhill. Um, I think all of those kind of functional combo moves where you're even, you know, doing like a lateral lunge into a step up into whatever, like kind of moving through different things and, and keeping, keeping your body awareness high. And then you, and then I also just think if you come from an athletic background, you adapt to your body awareness more just naturally. Um, you know, you see guys train in the mountains all the time or go through obstacles all the time, but they still are a little awkward because they, if you understand the concept of like building locomotor skills and different things like that, it's like, there's so much work you put in as a young kid that progresses further on. And it kind of lays like those like building blocks consistently. And if you didn't have that exposure when you were younger, um, you're not going to learn as, as quickly. Well, for perspective for people, um, I do think you live in like pretty much the flattest place on it, earth. It really is. Like, I don't think we're lying about it. No, we're not. Um, I've been, um, but you know, you were, for example, just so people can understand and, and we'll still use the, you know, we don't have mountains excuse. Everybody will once in a while sneak that into a conversation. Yeah. But, um, you know, like for example, last year you went out to Montana in a mountain series race and you and Ian Hosick, who was fifth at worlds this year, went back and forth until the very end. He lives in the mountains at elevation. 
you're a guy who lives at sea level on a flat terrain, went out and went head to head with a guy who was fifth in the world and won the mountain series. You were, I think it was sixth at OCR world champs or seventh. Uh, well, when, you know what, I think I was sixth. It, I was, seventh. No, Ryan Woods just uh, tested positive. So we had to, I, I moved myself up. Yeah. Yeah. Sixth it is. And that was a, a mountain course against the best people in the world. Um, which is incredible. You went to Tahoe, did 60 burpees in 2017 and still almost cracked the top 10 at elevation. I remember passing you on that first uphill. Yeah. You were like, Hey Kirk, how you doing? I'm like, good, <laughs> you dick. And then I never saw you again. But anyways, point being is you've been really like, if you're talking a flatlander that lives at sea level, that's about as good as it gets, man. Like that is really tough to hold a candle to. And I think I still think you're selling the conversation short with what you do. I'm not satisfied yet with what you're telling me on how I, how I train. I want, yeah. I'm no, I'm not. I'm not. I don't feel like we've gotten there yet because the conversations you and I have Mick, when we just bullshit or when you've come to visit, you get a little more specific with me. Like this is a workout I do. Right. And when you, when you tell me it makes a lot of sense, like you do very specific things, very intentionally. I think your running IQ has gotten a lot better. I think now you're minded that way. But before that, you're still like a functional fitness through and through expert. And that's where I think has really benefited your your hill running. So why don't you tell us a few like specific workouts that you actually do sure. to get ready for these things? So I think um, like a like a really good classic one would be if I, if I have a loop around like a hill, like a short hill, okay? It's about... Um, I would say my reps when I'm really fit are about five minutes and 20 seconds. So there are three small uphills within that, but there's quite a bit of, um, and then you're ripping downhill. Um, but there's also quite a bit of like, once you top out, you know, there's 800 meters of just flat, flatter single track. And I think, I think doing those repeats where, um, you get like two minutes in between, but you hit those reps hard and you try and hit a time every time. And you hit the uphills as hard as you can. But as soon as you, even before you get to the top, you're already swinging your arms and moving so that you're getting back into that pace. It, it's hard to do so. But once you get there, I think that you can sustain it if you're fit. But it's like the hardest thing mentally to, to push yourself at that point. Um, to push the throttle once you crest the hill yeah. and continue to dig into it. Bracken, you used to assign a very specific workout for that, didn't you? Yeah. What was that called? I don't remember the name, but you would you'd run the best hill you have and then you'd crest it and you'd have to accelerate the next 400 or 600 meters afterwards. I don't recall the name. Like I actually am looking at my watch to hit a certain pace as soon as I get to the top of the hill. Like I'm keeping myself honest that way. And it doesn't matter how how tired I think I am. Uh, I found in races, like let's say you're going uphill and let's say a guy is generally right behind you, but you know, within 30 seconds and you hit that top and they're still power hiking or, or easy trotting up and you hit, hit that distance, you all of a sudden create a gap if they don't do the same thing. And then you're right back into your stride because you've trained your legs enough to almost um, just, just flush out that lactic acid. Like if you expose yourself to it enough, then you know you can get back to a comfortable pace, even though at the time, you if you think improperly, you're probably going to be like, nah, this is going to add up and I'm this is going to affect me. But if you know your body well enough, you know it will cycle back and 
you can actually flush out lactic acid best when you get back into your most efficient pace. So um, it's almost like if I start a little slower to try and get it, that's actually more time under tension on my muscles. And when I'm going through it, it's actually worse for it. Plus I'm going slower. Um, it's not the easiest mentally to do, but I think things like that where you try to imitate it and then all of a sudden you start telling yourself mentally in a race that you are that type of person and you just do that, right? I think in Montana against uh, Ian, you know, there were five or six of us and I think legitimately there was about 20 seconds of flat grassy running and the rest of it was just relentless hills. Like there was no real running. And I saw that was the only place I was able to get a little bit of a gap, but of course Ian just can get back. Um, but if we're, th if we're talking about like training, I think sometimes it is just not being scared of your own effort and understanding that you will come back from it. So I think it's a combination of different things, but I I'm that type of person that three weeks out is creating like a race simulator of whatever terrain that I'm going into. And I'm kind of adding in that like tempo effort of the highest incline that I'm going to do. So let's say Montana was basically, I don't know, the, the longest uphill was probably two minutes. You know, it wasn't that long. So I was doing two minute like threshold building of uphill stimulator or stimulation. Like let's say at home through my workouts, I was doing like kettlebell jump squats into lunge jumps, into sprints, into footwork. And then I was in it. This is, this is what I want to know. This, these type of things. This is what I want to know. Can you say that again? So let's say, let's say the uphill was two minutes. So I would do 30 seconds of jump squats with, um, with a kettlebell, then go right into, um, like, I'll just keep it simple, like scissor lunges, which already you're starting to build up, build up. Then I would do that twice. Let's say add up to 30 seconds, or I would do like step ups or something, step overs. Uh, so something where it was like that driving pattern. And then after that two minutes, I would, I would do like a minute of downhill work. So I would do, uh, like deficit box jumps into footwork into um kind of like negative where where i'm actually on a platform and i'm doing lunges dropping down off of like let's say a 45 pound plate but you're creating that angle so there's more resistance on the downhill of your lunge even though a lot of trainers would say to the regular public that's not that safe in terms of like putting extra load on certain joints but i just know that so i'm i'm stimulating kind of the pattern that my muscles would take and then hit a downhill right away. And then if I'm doing this outside, I would also add in like a half a mile straight away right after it. This is the stuff I love to hear. Yeah. And I'm not the type of person that would do, um, like I know a lot of people will lift and they do everything. I'm still a component of like waist down and waist up training. So if I train my legs one day, the next day is upper body. And I'm not doing combo things unless I get into like a race simulator where then I'm kind of doing full body, but that's just, that's just kind of the exposure. Um, and I like that. I like giving my everything like a day's rest to recover unless it's now an easy run. I've just started doing that. So let's say I do like a hard track session, which I did yesterday. So today would be like easy six K or six miler just to kind of like flush it out and do some mobility work after. Um, and like then the that. other the other thing is um, 
So I guess my legs definitely get, it, it's funny because I, I don't know that I'm really doing it until I get to the race. And then again, like I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, like my, my legs are actually set up for this. I might not have the skill work for the downhill, but I do have the confidence enough to, uh, like we look at Whistler. Whistler was one of our biggest mountain race. It was part of the mountain series. And if I didn't, didn't miss that spear, I was probably going to win that uh, like series race. It was super rainy day, like wet downhill, super grassy, super steep. And, you know, like Taylor Turney was there and all these guys that can run a really good downhill. And you look at the downhill sections and unless it was so technical that you almost uh, turn in, it almost turns into one of those like braking systems. Um, I was still beating everyone on the downhill. So I think it's just um, understanding that your body can take a load and then just getting in the confidence to do so. This is the beautiful stuff right here, because this is the lengths you have to go to when you don't have mountains. And it's actually the lengths that some people still probably should go to if they have overuse symptoms in the mountains. But this is what has to happen in order to prep you for things that you don't have access to. So th that type of right. um, high twitch, you know, jumping switch lunges, you know, box jumps, deficit box jumps. Kirk, we talked about that all last year, deficit box jumps, things like that mm -hmm. right into movement. You don't have a 2,000 foot peak to run up, but if you can accumulate right. 2,000 feet worth of burn in your legs, I mean, burn is burn. Having to push off the ground when you're exhausted is having to push off the ground with your when you're exhausted. And then you add in a flat run hard to simulate crusting the hill to the downhill or the downhill lunges. Now you're teaching the body the actual moves that you're going to have to do in the race. Even though it's not the same skill, it's the same system. And that's the right. piece that I think a lot of people really struggle to pair together but you have mastered. If someone is running, they're, they're training for a mountain race and they're running uphill. And let's say they just run up their one mountain and come back down. You know, they've only taught that system once to cycle out lactic acid at the top. Whereas like if I'm doing reps, let's say of stimul uh, simulating, you know, that, that burn and that fill up and then get everything to flush out and then do it again and do it again. Then all of a sudden I'm, I've taught my body how to do it 10 times. Whereas someone just doing a high mountain has only done it once. Um, they are teaching their body how to kind of under pressure, kind of cycle it out, which is also good. I wouldn't say that's, that's bad. That's poor training. I'm just saying, if you look at it in, in an exposure aspect, uh, I know Josh stride just seems to think that my body actually has this odd um, way of eating lactic acid naturally. He thinks I'm some kind of freak that it's just, it, you know, it doesn't matter what I do, but I'm that guy that'll use, and, and here's a little trick. Like if you're doing step ups and you want reps on, I'm, I do one leg at a time just to kind of get that constant push, push, push. So I'll get a normal bench and I'll just do step ups with knee drives with a bit of weight. And I'll just do like 40 reps and then switch to the other side and do 40 reps. And that 40th rep is like, you get that pain where it's like, it's that threshold pain. It's not, it's not like an injury pain. Uh, and then they cycle out, but you, right after that, you go into something else that's kind of, you have to focus a bit on footwork or something. So you're still moving and getting that um, exposure, but you filled up your legs and you're teaching it, your muscles how to kind of disperse it again and then go back into it. But the trick is, is, you know, those like 
decline benches that you can kind of put your feet into and they like you do step ups on those and all of a sudden you're training your calves too for the uphills you do your step ups weighted step ups on a bench that's angled and now all of a sudden you're teaching yourself how to step up on you know a bit more relevant terrain so even just little tricks like that that um you want to you want to get that I, I try my best to get as best angles as i can because uh i even i even see this in in terms of like lifting where i i tell my football players all the time like if you are strong in one plane of motion then all of a sudden a guy moves you out of the way or you don't have a strong core um and you guys you guys talk about core training a lot i think i've always been that person that has been kind of i nerd out so much on core training and just like enjoying it and calisthenics and hanging from the bar and exposure to it so uh i think there's always you know let's say in core training i always make sure there's three three moves you have to do and that would be and some of them are kind of combo moves where you're also working different muscle groups but you always have something stability stabilization anti-rotation or power rotation and then flexion so something where in the most simple way you could do like let's say a plank would be stabilization and then flexion might be like bicycles or sprinter crunches. And then let's say anti-rotation might be farmer's carries, or it might be, you know, windshield wipers hanging from, um, hanging from the bar. So I always expose my, myself to those three things as well. And I think in general, just being kind of like a balanced athlete, you are able to adjust and um, make, make good decisions. You talk about like a two minute hill in prepping. So you do 30 seconds of four different exercises to accumulate two minutes worth of fatigue climbing simulation in your legs, which I really like. And then you follow it immediately with some sort of eccentric load to simulate downhill. And I, and I approve all that. Um, what about a situation like Tahoe where you may climb for 30 minutes straight? Do you change anything or just add volume? Well, I mean, now, I, like I showed you before we went on here, Kirk, like I have an incline no, 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 trainer now. Pre-incline, <laughs> Pre but you didn't. Yeah. Pre-incline training. Honestly, Kirk, I think I was just fit. And and I think because, here's the weird thing, because I raced that year, the Canadian series, and there were a lot of mountain races leading up to Tahoe, I think I honestly just had mountain fitness because of the previous races. Now, I did well in those races, um, but a couple things I would do is like, I would pull a tire in that slow prancing motion uphill. And then I would run it down on like one side of me, or I would actually run it down carrying, pulling the rope at shoulder height, like I'm about to punch something. And running like that downhill, your body wants to twist. So now I'm working on running downhill with side tension on one side, and I would switch every rep. So now I'm working on proper posture as I'm running down, creating a little bit of drive as I'm going downhill but I'm constantly engaging my core and you can totally feel it because you have that press on one side of your body. So I'm running uphill with it around my waist, just building it up and running downhill kind of in that, um, in that proper posture with getting good feedback. Um, and I found that that's a really good way of just like adding a little bit extra like functional functionality instead of just running downhill. Um, and I believe a tire doubles your hill incline and length. Right. You know, a quarter right. mile hill at 10% incline is like a half mile hill at 20% incline if you're dragging a tire behind you. And I'll do I'll do reps 
at effort. So if I know I'm at a certain heart rate going uphill, which is terrible for me at altitude and going uphill when I don't have exposure. But I think in general, if I was just doing workouts that were like for Tahoe was like 20 minutes all out effort. And part of it was like hard leg stimulation, then at least that would translate. Uh, so I would, I would actually be at the bottom of the hill doing tire drags for three minutes. And then I would do repeats up and down for like two more minutes. Um, even just doing like broad jumps uphill and stuff like that. Uh, single leg broad, jump, either single leg like bounds or double like burpee broad jumps. Uh, I think just really teaches your legs how to kind of continue through that, that motion. But I always, I'm always a big um, kind of, I'll always expose my body to power, power moves and, and like plyometrics. And I think plyometrics are just like, in general, it's something that it's always part of my programming. So like my leg workouts will start out with two, two heavy lifts of some sort, and then they'll progressively get higher rep, higher rep, and more functional and more functional. So they've already been broken down at like a strength base. And then they kind of go into more plyometrics and uh, unilateral and more different planes of motion kind of thing. And I think overall, after an hour of leg training, you're just like, your legs are tanks. So you can kind of just kind of go from there. That's my philosophy too. start heavy and heavy and put your body under a heavy load to start and then get more functional and more specifics and more unilateral and things as you know. I do find it funny if, uh, yeah. If if, if you're talking about like elevation and everything, if, if a thousand feet of elevation is equal to 1% of um, your performance, then I better show up 5% fitter than you. And then I'll do just as good as you in the hill. <laughs> oh, is that how well, it works? I don't know. <laughs> like in general, I think sometimes you're just in better, like obviously everyone adapts to altitude differently and, and, and a little bit different mm -hmm. time frames and different things like that. But um I definitely felt Tahoe when I was there, even warming up the day before. I was so scared running up that little fire road and realizing how, like how taxed I was on like an easy shakeout. I was actually so nervous for the next day. And then I said like, e either way, I can try and stay within my range or just, again, I think I'm always like when you came out to Red Deer and you, you came and ran with me, you know, you definitely mm -hmm. had more foot speed and more, um, but we, we kind of hung out together. We definitely pushed the pace together and mm -hmm. it was, it was a blast. It was a, it was a great battle. It's still one of my favorite races, uh, minus the fact that you, you decided to fall off things and fall behind. But. I had a minute and I had a minute and a half lead on you in that race. Cause you had a hard time with the tire of all things. Oh, and yeah. I think I failed four things the second half of the race and the whole field went by me. It was Have terrible. you ever seen that where the person flips? the tire once and as it flips it bounces on its end and starts rolling away from them down a hill <laughs> and then the, the volunteers like well that's the tire you chose you got to go flip it uphill now and i'm like stuck there and yeah that was no fun but uh either way it was it, it was a blast but i think i think in general i just um i've always been someone who's liked you know i'm not that person that's like gets really intense and works really hard but i think I enjoy that state of, of uh, effort. And sometimes I might not be the fittest guy there, but more, more than enough times I've, I've kind of stayed close 
and battled it out. And then there's been a couple little things where an obstacle comes my way that I'm stronger functionally to get through or or a certain part, I create a bit of a gap and that's that's what happens. I think it's funny that, I don't know, you set yourself up as like, I don't know what I'm doing with training so much and I'm just figuring it out. And hearing like hearing you talk, especially about figuring out ways to get elevation, um, like there's a lot of strategy behind this man, like a lot. And I just think, I don't know, I think, I think it's part of your weekly thought process. And I, I just think it's like really noteworthy for people who don't have access to inclines as far as what you're actually doing. Step ups on a, on a slope surface, for example, is genius. Creating circuits every time you work your lower body to prep you for the next mountain you potentially run is genius. Yes, you do your, your structured lifts and then you follow it up with race specific type work. And I've never heard you make an excuse about it in your entire life. I've never heard you say, well, it's flat here. So I would have won Tahoe if it wasn't flat here. I don't think I've ever heard you make an excuse. You just suck it up and find creative ways. And I think the way you train is very, very ingenious, if, if you ask me. A lot of that stuff is, is not stuff I'm doing or Bracken is doing. The other thing I think is it's just consistent. I think in general, you look at some people's training and it, it ramps up or whatever else. But I think that the other thing is I've been, I've been able to kind of build for years you know, and, and keep training and whatever else I haven't had. Um, I've had little things like I've gone through every little injury you can think of, but in terms of, uh, having these gaps or, uh, misses in kind of my motivation, uh, I don't really have that. And I think just being consistent goes a long way. And then putting in a few workouts that in general, as best as I can set them up, incorporate the race I'm training for. Um, I do that. I think I do that. I've always done that is kind of do a little research and, um, think of how the race would be set up and try and try and specifically train a little more for the venue. But I think in general, in terms of like general fitness, I think I'm always kind of at a good, good state. You know, listening to you talk and listening to the way you train and the way you think about training reminds me very much of Hobie Call. He does a lot of of thinking from a different perspective. It's not, all right, I know I need to do three by five weight work and I know I need to run 60 miles per week and I know I need to hit a hill workout, you know, or long runs. He doesn't approach it from that side. He approaches from my outcome in a race has to be this. So I'm going to build whatever I know my body needs in order to get there. And so he, for years, ran three times a week, but he'd do a lower body leg workout that would be 50 or 60 minutes long of just strength re related work and lunges and weighted lunges and and his warm up his warm up before workouts was 20 to 30 minutes straight of functional fitness exercises and his upper body work was all 10 to 12 10 to 15 reps but it was a continuous circuit that was a 50 minute cardio circuit and so it's not something that I would have built out and it's not something that Kirk would have built out but knowing his body, knowing the demands of the race, he always trained directly to the demands of the race in the way that he knew his body responded to. And you, I think, are the closest to that that I know in this sport. Yeah, but I just need a, I just need a marathon training background now, and then we can put it all together. <laughs> That's the difference. He was a 1402 5K guy and a 217 marathoner. Yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell you right now, if I lay out all my times, it is, it's nothing... Um, Nothing special compared to a good runner. 
or a good road runner. It becomes a badge of honor that I'm coming right. in with PRs that no one else here would ever aspire to, but I'm going to take scalps from every person around me and I, their PRs become mine. I used to think that like after a race, like uh, there, there's a race I beat Max King. I thought, all right, now I'm a steeple, I'm an Olympic trial steeple chaser and I'm a 1355K runner. And the first time I beat Ryan Woods, like, okay, I'm a, I'm now a, uh, a 343, 1500 meter runner and a 1355K runner. Like I don't need to run those PRs. If I can beat people with those PRs, they become mine by association. Right. It's like my scalp belt of PRs. And it's a really arrogant thought, but you have to have some sort of arrogant chip on your shoulder to go race against people that on paper are going to run you into the ground. Some people have like that mental, uh, their mental strength is walking into a race knowing they've hit certain times and that's where their confidence comes from. And I think my confidence will come from knowing that I like my state of mind while I'm racing and I know I'm at a certain fitness to put me in the mix. And then it just matters if I play it out well enough to give myself a chance. You know, when it comes down to it, I'm not trying to make a living doing this. So I may as well have a good experience and enjoy either the process of having a really good battle with someone and making strategic moves and also adapting to however the course goes or just actually enjoying it because that's, you know, that's what I'm training to do. So I think, I think in general, I mean, there's lots of sports psychology where if you focus on how hard, how difficult you're working or um, depending on where your mental capacity goes during the race, it can totally affect your effort. So, or your perceived effort. And I also think that's a big thing that I have is, um, you know, I, I may be working harder than someone, but I'm not focusing on how hard I'm working all the time. Do you um, periodize your strength work at all? Or do you constantly go under sort of the similar philosophy you outlined? For example, you know, my belief is right now just work heavy loads and very simple lifts. And then once the season gets a little closer, we add in single leg movements and lateral movements. And then as the season gets even closer and now it's here, we add in our plyometrics and our dynamics. So we have a, you know, so I periodize over a long period of time in order what I think to maximize benefit. Um, that's just my general philosophy. As far as you, you keep all aspects in at all times. Is that, is that what I'm understanding? I do, but sometimes my heavy lifts are actually my single leg lifts or something like that. Sure. So um, I think every year I have three or four lifts that I kind of focus on that I just feel like I want to improve. So last year it was, I really wanted to get like a one arm pull up and I wanted to get 20 muscle ups unbroken. I wanted to improve my front squat and uh, I wanted to improve um, kind of my, my vertical or my, my standing broad jump for distance. So uh, those four things, then all of a sudden I'm periodizing those. Now I find when we get closer to race season, I'm doing less leg workouts so I can do more quality. Um, it's almost like maintenance. Uh, and I just find that if I do that, then I can have a little more, more quality runs and I can also recover better. Uh, but right now, like in the winter, I'm doing pretty consistently two leg workouts a week. One is one is actually after my track session. So I'll come back and do, you know, 40 minutes of work. And then I give my legs a complete break the next day. That makes sense. And is I guess the next next thing I'm curious about, I know you have some sort of a time uh, yeah, we're still good. today before you need to get into the woods or into the woods. Let's <laughs> see, so you know where I've been well, into this, in the class. Because Ed is all outdoors right now. So our 
our regular i'm outside every day yeah yeah so we did shelter building the other day actually we were we were teaching them what what is a dead tree in a forest and what is a living tree and we had saws out and creating little lean twos yeah it's good that's like Bayad, huh? That's how you know you're in Canada. That does not happen here in the <laughs> United States. So wait, so not to sidetrack, but you stand outside in the cold weather all day with your kids then, and all winter you will do that. If it is negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit, you're going to be outside with the kids. Well, we have we have too many, right? It, so far, that was the announcement at the start. So for three months, we've been outside. Now it's getting much colder now. So we can go inside and we have our spaces with our, but the school I teach at has 1,200 students. so. Um, our gym spaces, there's always two or three classes going on at once. And basically if we're inside, there's so many more regulations, you know, they always have to be wearing masks. They cannot exert themselves. They cannot come within contact and certain equipment and stuff. So, um, for me, if I, if I believe that they still need to be active every day and they need exposure and they need that social aspect, I need to keep going outside as much as I can. Mm, but we'll have those days. We'll have those days where I'll call it and say, you know what, time to have a break. Like we're, we're going to do some yoga in the small gym or, um, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your, what is your approach then? We just did an off season training episode. Uh, I think this last training Tuesday, just staying on it during the off season. So what is your approach leading into hopefully racing in 2021? I believe you mentioned you were still looking at your starting to look at a calendar yeah. and sorting out what you were going to do. Like, how are you, how do you approach the next three to four months? I say the next three months, I'm trying to get my lifts back to how like my strongest and get my joints back to their most functionally bulletproof. Uh, and then I'm trying to still expose myself once a week to leg turnover, like speed work. And then um, I'm also doing like those now that I have an incline trainer is just hiking. I'm not really doing anything too high intensity, but just start building, building that in like a low capacity. So I think in general, I think my base is like get strong. And this year I'm, I'm adding more mileage. So I think I, I'm creating hopefully like a, a larger base so that I can peak a little, uh, peak a little more when, when, when we get back to it. But I have honestly, I, I'd, I'd say for sure four months before I race. So, or more than that, but I have a bit of time. So now is the time. And especially right now, I'm, I mean, there's no sports going on, so I'm not coaching at school. Uh, my other side business that I run, which is like, I run a fitness class and everything that's not going on right now. So I have this odd blessing of a bit more time. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to make my body adapt to a little bit more volume and see how that works. But so far it feels good and I, I've been building and I've been feeling fine to it and my long run's getting longer. And um, so we'll, we'll see. Like I think, I think in terms of off season, like I try to get back to a little bit more strength training and, and then I like now, now I'm just trying to get more time in an aerobic state throughout the week. Um, we do, although we don't have mountains, I still make my way out onto the trails a lot. And I've started, run, I've started running with one person who is substantially slower than I am. And I think that's actually helping me. It's on my day after long run. And I, I basically just run technical trails, but we go at their pace and it's just for enjoyment. And I think I, it's it's definitely improving. 
Right yeah. on. You're still on. You're still on mute, Bracken. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to be? A Aren't you supposed to be a professional? No, I'm dressed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fair enough. But, but that's that's the perfect setup. That's like the dream training setup. If you're not in a training camp, the best next best thing you can do is run some of your speed days with people faster than you, and run your easy days with people slower than you. And that keeps you polarized. It keeps you pushed, and it keeps you refreshed. Kirk, do you want me to go through a week right now of my off season? Generally, yes, I do. Okay, so yes, I all do. All right, Sunday would be like my wilderness trail running with no pace, just enjoyment. I usually get about, uh, let's say, seven, eight miles. Just easy, easy running. Usually snow running. It's nothing, nothing crazy, but uh, that's on my week. Let's say that's Sunday. Monday is do an upper body lift, and then in the evening I hike for about forty-five minutes. It used to be I used to watch Bachelorette on Mondays, but they changed the day on me, so now I got to find something else to watch. That show's gone off the rails. Oh, it has. <laughs> I I think two years ago, I think two years ago, I I I had that epiphany where I was like sitting there and I was like, did I just get a little more intelligent, or is this going way down the drain? You know, it's funny. It's part of the reason that Mick and I started chatting on that first battle frog day is that he recognized me from the bachelorette and he was like are you are you the guy from the tv show you and your girlfriend at the time and then we went for a cool down run together yeah. because you had the courage to come say something i just think that's that was my end bringing people together yeah. bringing people together totally look what happened now so yeah so on on mondays i'll do like a lift in the morning i'll wake up do an hour of strength training and for upper bodies i'll do chest and back twice. So I'll do a chest and back exercise and change angles all the time, but I'll do strength for strength. So three by eight kind of thing. And then I'll do a chest and back exercise for power. So maybe plyo pushups and, um, I don't know, reverse flies or something, but a little more controlled. And then I'll go into core and then I'll go into shoulders and then I'll go into arms and I'll just kind of cycle through that, but always change the blueprint of the exercises I'm doing. Uh, then Tuesdays I'll go, I usually do track. So two mile warm up and then about 5K of quality work. I'll cycle between um, either I'll go, usually start out where I pepper in speed at the start and end of it, and then do a bit more longer reps in the middle. Uh, then the next week I will break up like fake reps where let's say in general, it still looks like a mile repeat workout, but it might actually be 1200 meters and then 30 seconds rest and then 400 meters or something where it's like um i'm almost trying to keep a regular pace for let's say my goal mile whatever but i give myself that little bit i don't recover totally but my last 400 meters is still like a kick almost and then the next week i'll go into like full mile repeats or something and i'll cycle back to some speed and then go broken broken up longer like i call them kind of like secret repeats where it's if you didn't look at the rest it would look kind of all over the place one of my favorite one is like 1k repeats where it's like 800 meters 30 seconds rest 200 meters and then 200 we used to do those in college we did a similar style. and i just find i get super fit after it and i usually put a spear throw after that 200 meters or in between on that 30 seconds so i'll hit an 800 meter hit throw a spear throw and then run 200 meters and then take let's say two and a half minutes rest in between reps and I'll do 5k work of quality. And then Wednesdays is again, upper body lift and easy, maybe six miles. Now 
I'm just starting to incorporate those easy six miles. It used to not even happen. Uh, Thursdays would be incline repeats. So something, and again, I cycle between three stages. So I'll go shorter reps, kind of one minute to two minutes with equal rest of hiking. Uh, and then the next week I'll go into like four to five minute reps. And then the next week will be like more tempo. Uh, and then I do legs, legs after that. So I do about half an hour of time on the treadmill and then I'll do legs after. And I also do legs after track. So that's when I fit in my leg workouts is Tuesday, Thursdays after my kind of shorter quality work. Friday's kind of open, see how I'm feeling. If I want to do another upper body workout or an easy run. Sometimes it's nice after a long week to just get out if it's a nice day and just put in, put on the run in public and go for a run. That's and right. then, uh, that's right. And then Saturdays is long run right now. Uh, I'm at about 15 miles, which is nice. And then back to Sundays, which is just explore the trails and enjoy it. So are you pushing the pace on your long run sometimes or just nice and easy? I'm tr I, I mean, again, like I'm still learning. I'm still learning about long runs and still trying to understand it. Uh, I used to almost do like an up-tempo long run all the time. <laughs> and now I'm realizing like you need to just kind of have that time and zone um, because I don't run on the same terrain all the time, but let's say on flat icy, like it's, it's all packed down ice right now. Luckily my BJs kind of allow me to still run naturally on that stuff. But uh, you know, I'm running like, let's say seven minute mile. Well, for some people that'd be hard. So, something like that. And you know what, for me, it's not, it's not easy, easy. I can still talk through it, but uh, I still get to that point. What I like to do in my long run is, is feel that you get that dull pain a little bit after you hit your like limit of range for mileage of that consistent kind of stride. And I know that when I get there, I usually put in another mile and then that's, that's kind of where I like to build from. So, and I find that adapts progressively over time. Yeah, you don't you, you like to underplay how tactical you are about your training, but I like your mental approach. I really do. That's good. I I I think it just comes to me though. I I, I don't think I think I I figure it out and then I hear something about how it's it's good to be doing this and then I just keep it. I don't know if I naturally um build it properly, but to to me it's it, it's it's manageable with a with a lifestyle and that's always important to me too. You know, I don't stress if I miss a day or um, if I have to go easy one day or whatever else. But mm -hmm. I like how it is and I'm motivated every day to do it. And it doesn't feel like I'm just putting in miles to put in miles and I'm doing this because I need to. It's almost like a nice little, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice week. It's a good, good mix for me. Yeah, it is. I think um, the important thing that you're outlining is you're like, oh, I'm figuring out what I'm doing, but you're still following a process and a plan and you're creating like an actual template of what you're doing. And when you do that, at least you can know what results are yielded from your process, whether it's the best process or the worst process or the right process, you're still following. Clearly, you're just outlining like almost a three week cycle for us is what I'm understanding yeah. with a lot of your training. And you're going to know what results that yields. And you can look back and say, oh, it wasn't haphazard sporadic training i was following a process and that's that's really the key for anything that you do is if you do it do it consistently and then you can at least measure the results and know what yielded yeah. those results and it takes out the guessing like if i see on social media that everyone's doing this high rocks workout or uh doing this kind of workout or something i don't just 
jump into it and do it. And then it smashes me for my next day training. Like, I feel like if I look at that week, I know where I'm getting certain exposures to everything I need to be. Um, obviously, I'm switching it up based on, again, what I'm training for. And then when it gets closer to race season, but hopefully if I can be consistent with this, uh, I'll come in with a good base fitness and a really good kind of functional strength that, uh, you know, I, I can kind of sharpen up for whatever I, I need to sharpen up for. Uh, I, I also do play hockey in the winter, but that's, that's canceled right now. So that was always fun too. You get that, you get that once a week, just, just totally different, different stimulus. And you know what, I, I am an athlete when it comes down to it. And I do miss that kind of team aspect camaraderie, but also the reactive, um, the reactive training where you have to adjust to, you know, someone else's move right on the fly. You have to adjust to moving objects. You have to, you know, have manipulation skills. And as much as Spartan, I love it, it doesn't really have a lot of that. And, um, I still really enjoy that. So yeah, that's that. That's that that piece. I always that's the double edged sword, right? I play basketball because I love that, and I know it also. When I roll my ankle or tweak a hamstring, it costs me a race, but it mentally and physically, to me, outweighs the the risk. And it sounds like you have that with with hockey and with other things that maintains your athleticism as more than just a linear athlete. Yeah. So you mentioned next season. Well, hopefully, you show up next season and you've done it right, and you're ready to ready to rock. Um, obviously there's this, you know, storm cloud over next season, but what are you doing? Are you going to commit to coming and racing us in the States a little bit more, Mick? Are you going to, what are you doing? Now you froze. Did you miss me there? Yeah. I said, um, as far as next season goes, you brought up next season. Um, and the fact that you're hoping to show up ready to rock and hopefully all this that we talked about is going to have you in a new place of fitness. I think it's going to, especially with adding a lot of easy volume, um, so what's the plan, man? Even though we know there's a bit of a storm cloud over the season, uh, what what are you doing? And are you going to come come hang with us boys in the States a little bit and let me beat you for I'd once? I'd like to. Uh, well, the first part of that statement, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think in general, I think uh, I'd like to toss in a race in May. That would be the start of my season, whatever that means. But it usually that that usually allows me to kind of get get into things and and you know what the snow's not really gone here until may so i i feel like i need a few weeks of running under my belt where i'm not just running in slush or ice especially coming down to the states where there would be none let's say at the first race um i'd like to do the canadian series i think it's gonna be really competitive this year and i know obviously like brian's plan was to do it as well so that's always nice. He's, he's only done a few Canadian races. Um, and it's just, again, like I always learn so much more when I'm having a race that I'm either chasing someone or having like battling with someone. Um, so I, I, I look forward to that and the venues are, are great. So now if, if I can come over the border, I'd love to come to a couple U S national series races this year. Like, maybe one of the earlier ones and then uh toss myself into west virginia again i think uh that was a really good race for me a couple of years ago and again like no one really knew who i was and it was it was it was a weird thing but one of the girls who did the marketing for social media for um canada came down there because they spartan invites all their kind of main 
main employees and she she told the announcer that they needed to like get me over the starting starting corral uh and they called my name first which was so weird i wasn't even prepared if you watch the video they just they call my name and no one comes over the thing for like i think i was still in the porta potty like it was uh <laughs> but it was a, it was a it's a great race i like distance i think just in general if i'm gonna um experience a course i like to be out there longer and um i remember talking to you after that race bracken and i was just my stomach was a mess and you i i, re I remember seeing you out on course a few times there like mm -hmm. it was a fun race and um there's little things like that like even um like i'm at my cottage a lot in the summer and i'll swim across the lake and back and stuff and just little things like that that west virginia has where it's got the swim it's got it's a little more balanced course so um, yeah. I'd love to come back to that and, and hit that race, um, in great shape. And then I'd like to do OC OCR worlds because in general, I like, uh, I, I like it when obstacles have the potential for someone to, uh, use less energy and also use their athleticism and body awareness to actually move through it more efficiently and make up time. And there's enough obstacles in that race that it adds up over time. Sounds like a good season layout. Yeah, I did sign up for a uh, a stage race this year. So mm. I'm doing the Golden Ultra, which is part of the Trans Rockies uh, series. And it's a qualifier for um, a lot of like European championship kind of mountain running courses. So it's a vertical K the first day, and then a 30K mountain race the second day, and then a 10K uh, single track kind of river valley course the next day. And it's your total... total uh, total score over the three days. So that's in September. So either that's going to be good timing where I go there and completely destroy myself and prepare for it and then have enough time to recover. And I'll be, it might work out perfectly for like, let's say an OCR world. So that would be four weeks later or something. Um, but again, it will be a nice, nice change up and just something. If I have to prepare for a vertical K, it might, might motivate me to put in a couple harder efforts uphill and train for it however I can. That'll really put your I'm destroyed after a race to the test. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But everyone's in the same boat, right? So yeah. um, it's not like I'm showing up on the Sunday to run a 10K and no one else has done what I did the day before. So um, right. yeah, it'll be interesting. Mick, who's, um, who's got your back these days? When I think of you, like as far as support goes, when I think of you, you have, here in the States, I don't think they're very popular, but um, it's called a Gorp bar. Yeah, well, it's local. And you are like local. It's local. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're like their sexy model athlete for Gorp bar. And there's this commercial. I think it's like an apple ginger bar, right? And in this commercial, you're like, oh wow, this Gorp bar is fantastic. It's like taking a nice fresh apple and you take a bite out of the apple, and then you say, and also taking a nice bite of a fresh piece of ginger, and you take this big bite out of a ginger root, and the look on your face in that commercial as you're chewing it is priceless. I encourage you to look up this Mick Heil Jarillo <laughs> Gort Bar commercial. Yeah, that's good. Point being, I know they have your back, yeah. correct? Anybody else taking care of you these days? I mean, I, I've been running, you know, two seasons now technically with, uh, for BJ Shoes. And um, I, I definitely am someone that just basically wears those things all the time. So uh, they, they've been really great help for me. And obviously just having, having a pair of shoes that, you really, you know, I spent, I spent years dealing with, uh, loving innovate traction and then 
destroying them in like two weeks. So mm-hmm. uh, I kind of was in that same boat where I loved I loved a really good responsive low profile training shoe, and uh, so they've been they've been great. And then you know other than that, I, I think I work with like I've worked with worked with a few brands that just kind of help me out in terms of uh, gear or uh, in terms of like supplements and stuff like that. Um, but again, it's just, it's almost ju- just helps me out and, and it's products I use already. So, um, endurance first, I use a lot of their stuff. So, uh, they, they make a multivitamin, which is for like endurance athletes specific. And if you just want to kind of have a peace of mind over kind of your, um, you know, at the end of the day, making sure, even if you have good nutrition, you're not falling short on anything that's going to start adding up over time, uh, like a deficit. So stuff like that that's just it's just nice to have and um but again in canada we don't really have the same kind of sponsorship and branding that happens in the states so um it 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 just hasn't really progressed the same way and in terms of exposure and stuff like that but i'm okay to just kind of come in like you said under the radar we'll 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 bring it back to that oh we know now everyone's gonna know everyone's gonna know all right everyone's gonna know (laughs) Tell you what, I think we should all target Montana. Well, Montana's fun. Mon- Montana is not like a fun race for me, though. It's like, like you talk about being prepared for a mountain race or a specific style race. And although I, I try my best to do so, I wouldn't say I naturally enjoy doing it. Right. I'd rather train for a race like, I don't know, Florida or something like that. Right. It's just easier. It just takes up takes out a lot of the like creativity. Um, but I do like Montana and you know what? It's a good, it's a good start, even though it's a, now is the championship race going to be a beast? Yeah. Oh, wait, you're talking Montana or the world championship? Oh, what did you say? I said Montana, like in May, yeah. I, that, that might yeah. be the first time the three of us could get to a race. Yeah. It'll be a sprint or a super. Okay. Um, I found that like I did Montana a couple years ago and, and that was my first race. So training into a beast for your first race of the season is kind of good and bad, right? It challenges you to really make sure you have enough volume under your belt, but, um, and you don't necessarily have to peak in terms of like that raw, pure speed. Um, so it's different. I mean, a lot of people say like, it's nice that the series builds up to like sprint, sprint, super, super beast, but it's not a, it's not the worst thing to put a beast as your first race. True. In certain, in certain ways, in certain ways. We think that's probably the best chance of any race really happening that the first race that matters, maybe may, maybe Montana, we could all be up our asses with this. It could be fall. It could be 2022. Like we really don't know. I'm scheduling my season around being ready to race at uh, mid April and targeting Montana is the first one that counts. Yeah, it would be nice to get one under, here. under your belt too. Like just just be out there and just touch the obstacles and go through it and go through a race weekend again. I think. Yeah. Something I'm curious about, we should chat about real quick before we let you go, yeah. Mick. How come, like, you see, okay, savage races are happening? Mm-hmm. Correct. Is there a different, are they just picking states strategically in which this is allowed to happen? Whereas Spartan just didn't think it was worth patch jobbing? Could be an insurance thing. Is that what you think it is, an insurance thing? And a venue thing as well. I think they're finding they're finding venues that kind of say, "Hey, if you're doing the right protocols, you know, you can do it." Well, I'm just wondering if Spartan. The point I'm getting at is, I'm wondering if Spartan will 
potentially do a little, you know, puppeteering with this 2021 season the way Savage Race has and seeing if maybe they do put something together regardless as the state of, you know, the pandemic. I, I just don't know if Spartan would go another whole year without I don't think they maybe getting out of their own box. The problem I don't think the problem for sure for me is in May if they still won't let us over the border. You know, I can, even if Montana's happening, I might not be able to come. Montana's got to be the least controlled border, though. You can you can get across. Oh, yeah. If I go over that way and down, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could you can run over. You can run over the border if you want over there into Glacier <laughs> National Park. But um, the thing is, is if I, it, it's like non-essential travel, right? And then um, the other thing is, will my work let me travel and come back and work? Right. So we'll see. We'll see where I'm at. In terms of that, that might be actually a limiting thing for uh, Canadians, which unfor- it's unfortunate because somewhere like Montana is a fun race because you get a lot of Canadians coming down to it. Mm-hmm. It's a good mix. Yeah, it's not it's not Canada that's the problem. It's us, obviously. So you can come on over. That's fine. You just have to keep you once you do. That's kind of the issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, I might need to stay there for two weeks. Why not? There you go. What else? Uh, anything else you want to add in, Mick or Bracken? I'm satisfied. I'm glad we got a glimpse into the into the weight room preparation for mountains. That was the piece I wanted to hear about the most. So I'm glad that you pressed him to open up. Yeah, that's good. I don't know if people want to hear about the endless step ups I do and stuff like that, but uh, I'm glad Kirk Kirk Pete, you know, pressed me a little bit to do that. Listen, seventy percent of our country is flat. Exactly. So unless you live in one of those thirty percent areas, you have to do endless step ups or something. Tire think- drags. I think I think when things open up, we need to organize another training weekend. I I, I think that's long overdue. I don't mind doing the little road trip down to you guys and going and running around. Yeah, you're actually not much farther from Kirk than I am. Huh. I'm about five and a half hours. You guys should just come up to Lake Country and come run around here, but up in Canada. If I want to run flat, I'm running out my door. Exactly. Yeah, I don't have anything <laughs> appealing up here. Mick, where can people find you on uh, on the social media if uh, they want to get in touch with you? If yeah, if people have questions or want to just chat or bring things up, I, I'm just I'm on Instagram the most, I guess at Mick M I K underscore F I T T Mick Fit. Just more in general, not OCR Mick or anything. Just just fitness. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, spreading some of that Canadian intelligence wealth south of the border for us. Appreciate it, guys. It's good to see you. Thank you.